We're working our way through Paul's letter to the Romans. Uh, This morning we're going to talk about the will of God. And the will of God can be reduced to one word. Uh, Why does God do what he does? And the word is mercy. Mercy is the reason God does what he does. God uses merciful means to accomplish merciful ends. Uh, this might seem nice. And However, there's some uncomfortable aspects to mercy. Paul makes some observations about God's, murder, God's merciful modus operandi that will feel strange and perhaps even upsetting to us. But let's hear what he has to say. Um, Romans chapter 9. He begins, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites. And to them belongs the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Paul begins with a statement that reveals his heartache as he observes the state of his Jewish brothers and sisters. As we'll see, he understands that God is accomplishing merciful purposes. And he understands this, that merciful means are leading to merciful ends with respect to what his Jewish countrymen, both believers and unbelievers in Christ, are going through. And the fact that he understands God's purposes, that merciful means are leading to merciful ends, doesn't prevent him from experiencing sadness. Like Jesus, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, and if you recall, he knew that when he went there, he knew that Lazarus was going to rise from the dead. He knew what was going to happen. Not only did he know what was going to happen, but why it would happen. Lazarus would be raised from the dead in order that God might be glorified. And even though he knew what would happen, And why it would happen. When Jesus was there and was with everyone that was grieving, he wept. The shortest verse in the Bible, John 11.35, Jesus wept, and it tells us a lot. What it tells us is that God is not a distant, detached general. If you think of generals sometime plotting war strategy and they're moving troops on a a board or on a computer and they're really detached from what's happening when they move this piece from here to here people are dying and it might seem a little dispassionate that is not the way God does things there is understanding on behalf of Jesus and on behalf of Paul he knows what's happening but that doesn't prevent him from feeling along with what happens in real time as individuals who are being experiencing God's purpose 
part of that purpose when it's pain, it grieves him. Paul understands about his countrymen, the Jews, the central role they've played, are playing, and will continue to play in God's merciful plan. He lists spiritual privileges that have been extended to them, and he says to them belong the adoption. They were chosen to be those to and through whom God introduced himself to the world. That's what God says to Abraham. Through you and your children, every nation on the world will be blessed. And so what God said, I'm going to introduce myself to mankind, and I am going to choose, points to Abraham, you and your kids. And they became children of Abraham, sons of Israel. They became the Jews. Um, to them belongs the covenants. The covenants that God entered into with mankind were extended to Israel, to the Jews, and as we'll see, through the Jews to Gentiles. That's what God said to Abraham. I'm going to bless every nation on the earth through you and your children. So to them belong the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises um, what Paul also recognizes, and this is the reason for his grief, that God's merciful purposes will cause, will call for a painful split that will divide, that did div- divide first century Jews, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but we're going to be able to observe, and again, as you read these things, some of these things you're going to say, what in the world? It, God's merciful ways frequently don't make sense to us. We listen to them and we kind of scratch our head. And how is that merciful? Look what, look what I mean. Look at, start in verse 6. And the worshipful, it's, there's a sheet in your worshipful. Let me read it. Um, verse 6 of Romans 9, he, he writes with respect to the fact that there is reason to be sad, but he says, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And what he does, he talks about the way God kind of dealt with the children of Abraham. Uh, uh, Abraham had uh, some kids, Ishmael and Isaac, and from those God picked Isaac. You're going to be the one to and through whom I'm going to bless all of mankind. Isaac and Rebekah had a couple kids, Jacob and Esau. And God said, even though Esau was the oldest, he selected the younger, and not because he was perfect. The name Jacob, Jacob means deceiver, and he was. These were people that were not 
killers of spirituality all the time. God, when he selected Abraham, didn't select him because of his righteousness. He would have been a polytheist at the time. It's about God choosing who he's choosing and his ability to accomplish his purpose through whomever he chooses. And that's what Paul is going to land on. God chose Jacob and rejected Esau before they had been born, before they had any chance to do good or ill. When it says, Jacob, I loved, but Esau, I hated, the context is not emotional. It is choice. There's one person I'm going to accept, one I'm going to reject. The one accepted would be the one loved, Jacob. The one rejected would be the one hated, Esau. And God did that before they had done anything. So it's not in recognition of the fact that Jacob was more spiritual than Esau. That's not the point. The point is God's selection. He elects somebody. And so he, the person he elects and chooses, he equips to do what he would have them do. Um, God has gone out of his way and we'll read some other things, to frustrate a God chooses me because of my attitude. God chooses me because of my... And we have a tendency to do that. You've heard the question. I've even asked it up from up here. If God were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? If you were to die, stand before him. And he would ask, why should I let you in? What would you say? Naturally, our tendency is because, and then we use a pronoun. What's a pronoun we use? I, because I, because I, because I go to church, because I do this, because I do that. And that shows who we're trusting in. The pronoun shows what we're trusting in. And what we find here is that God goes out of his way to kind of to turn that on its head. Um, the person that might should have gotten chosen wasn't selected. It raises an objection, and it raised an objection at the time. Look what verse 14. What should we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Basically, what individuals are saying, wait a minute, that's not fair. I mean, he selected Jacob, and Jacob didn't do anything better than Esau. It, he chose Cain over Abel. Abel over Cain, excuse me, and we don't have any sense. People try to fill in the blanks that, well, Abel's offering was my, it's kind of, he just chose it. That's what God does. He selects. And uh, they're saying, is there injustice on God's part? Paul writes, by no means, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And look at this verse. It's a really an interesting verse. If you pick it apart, so then it depends not on human will or on exertion, but on God who has mercy. So with respect to those whom God chooses to be those to and through whom he introduces himself, it's not about human will. It's not about human effort. It's not that some exert more effort than others, have a stronger will than others. What Paul is indicating with respect to God's mercy, God's mercy is not dependent on human will. 
It's not a matter of God seeing your willpower and acknowledging, yes, you are showing exemplary willpower. I choose you. It's not the way God works. Not the way God works. And that's, we kind of like that. But it's a little bit hard for us to swallow, isn't it? Uh, God's, because God's favor is a mercy-based gift, it doesn't depend on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. God's mercy is always and only freely given. You cannot obligate God to extend mercy. It's not the way mercy works. If you obligate God to bless you, that's not mercy, that's a reward. It's not a gift. It's a paycheck. God's mercy is never a paycheck. Never. It's not something that you show him your time card with verses memorized, church services attended, yiddy, 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 and then God compensates you for that. That's not the way God's mercy works. God's mercy is never something that we earn from him. That's what Paul is indicating. Well, so here's the, I think here's what Paul's saying. Um, we've seen this before. He's made this point. Romans 8.28, God causes all things to work together for good. What this means is that if you're connected to God and God is good, you are connected to good. And we could ask the question then, what is it that connects you to God? And how strong is it? Is your connection to God strong? How strong? How would you measure it? The way it's usually measured? How much will do you have with respect to following through on obeying him? How are you doing? Somebody saying, eh, some days are better than others, Mike, you know, based on my will. How about your exertion? How much effort you put forth? We have a tendency to believe that our connection with God is based on our will and our exertion. You know what Paul is saying here? God's connection with us comes from his initiative, not ours. Now, this is different. We usually think we initiate and we get God to respond, right? I mean, look at how much I care about you. <laughs> there it is. And we initiate and we try to get him to respond. That's the way it works. God's, it's always God's initiative and our response and there's a name for God's initiative. That which moves him to offer gifts to us. And there's a word for that. And the word is mercy. Mercy. God's connection with us, with you, is based on his mercy, not your merit. And we're going to try to let that sink in. God's connection with you is based on his mercy, 
Not your merit, not your will, not your exertion, not your influence, not your dedication, not your devotion. It's based on him saying, wait a minute. That's, and at some point, that kind of feels good. But it, it also, and we'll see, it's a little bit unnerving. Um, God extends favor to those who don't merit that favor. Why is Paul making this point? We'll apply it to us. Why is he making this point? Um, he's writing to churches, house churches in the Roman Empire. These house churches will have Gentile and Jewish Christians in them. Gentile Christians don't know much about the Bible. They don't have a bunch of Bibles. If you were part of the early church in the first century, Bibles were written on big scrolls, and synagogues had them. But you didn't, if you carried your scrolls around, if you carried your Bible around, you know, today it's pretty handy. There, you, you know, you'd have scrolls, and you, if, you, if you tried to read it, you couldn't read it in bed. <laughs> trying to read this thing, and yet, here, honey, hold this, will you? And then again, you, can't, you couldn't do it. People didn't have Bibles. And so, when letters were read, it was incumbent upon Jewish Christians who understood the Scriptures, and, and the, Old, the Old Testament was the only Bible they had, right? The New Testament wasn't written until the 4th century. There were letters that were circulated. It's all. The only Bible they had was the Old Testament. The ones who understood the Old Testament were the Jewish Christians. And so the Gentile Christians were dependent on the Jewish Christians to help them understand. So imagine you're a Jewish Christian in the Roman Empire, and the Gentile Christians are depending on you. But what you understand, if you're a Jewish Christian, is that most people you know, most Jews you know, don't believe like you believe. They don't believe in the Messiah. They don't believe Jesus was the Messiah. By, by, by a great degree, most Jews did not accept Jesus as being the Christ, as being God. So if you then did that and you were part of this church, you were seen as disloyal to Israel. And it was a pretty lonely place to be. And would you imagine you would... Think twice about who am I that he would give this gift to me. I believe, but most don't believe. That would have been disturbing. It would have been it would have been hard for them. Um, the fact is, and this is what Paul is going to. We're going to see this over the course today, a little bit, and over the next weeks. God. There was once, it was a survivor. I haven't really seen much of Survivor. I think it's been on for just a bunch of series. In fact, I don't think I've ever seen a complete episode of it. But I remember, some of you are saying, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember, though, one of the first guys, there was a guy named Richard. Remember Richard? There was a lot of Richards, Mike. If you'd seen it, you'd understand there were a number of Richards. Okay, There was a Richard in the beginning, in the first or second season. And what they said about this is that everyone was playing checkers, but Richard was playing chess. Everybody was making these one move ahead. When it comes to the way God deals with mankind, he plays chess. He's thinking two, three, four, five moves ahead. 
Um, that's what we're going to see. Um, look what it says in verse 17. It gets interesting. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up. What it's describing here, Pharaoh's resistance to Moses was not really ultimately about Pharaoh's will. It was about God saying, you're going to oppose me. That's what it says. And this gets... And the, and the thing that's going to be troubling for us is we're going to say, well, Mike, how much does God determine? And that's what we'll talk about. But look at what it says. Uh, for, this re- for this very reason, I've raised you up, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Anybody have a little bit of a problem with that? Do you, but you're hearing. You got the sense? Well, if he chooses who he wants to choose it and he hardens who he wants to harden, I mean, what, what are we, puppets? That God controls? You will say to me then, okay, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? If he pushes buttons and pulls strings, then what right is he to judge? If he says, believe me, and so, these are good questions. Would you agree? These are really decent questions. And they're being asked at the time. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? (laughs) Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump? Some vessels, one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make his power, make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom he has called not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. What it's saying here, and we'll talk about, what does this mean? But it's saying election and hardening are part of the same merciful will of God. Um, What we have to understand, and this becomes important, It's not talking about individuals here. It's talking about groups of people. God, and this has been interpreted as saying that God selects and rejects individuals by some predetermined plan. I accept you, reject, accept, reject, accept, reject, accept, reject. And that's what Paul does. And this this verse is used to support that teaching. And it's not what this verse is saying. If you pull it out of context, it is what's Paul talking about. Paul is talking about Jews. And he's talking about Jewish Christians and the majority who are not Christians. And what Paul is saying is that God selected some Jews to believe, a minority, and most Jews not to believe. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? 
He's talking about Jews now, primarily. Why would God send a Messiah and choose most to reject him and some to accept him? What Paul is going to indicate is that merciful means to How is that merciful? You know what happens if you are a Jew in the first century? Let's say you're, let's say you represent a community and you've come together in this church, a house church in the first century. Let's say we're in Israel. The reason you're sitting in here if you're a Jewish Christian is because you've believed that Jesus is the Messiah. You believe he's the Son of God. And you know what it means that you're sitting here? It means that everybody worshipped the day before, but you're worshipping on Sunday. It means that the center of Jewish life, the synagogue, you are not allowed to go there. You were baptized, and what everybody knows, because Israel is a theocracy, which means the law of God is the law of the land, you went against Jewish policy by embracing Jesus as the Messiah. You know what this means? You're not just a Christian, you're a criminal. This culture is very family-oriented. Really family-oriented. You, you go to synagogue school, and in school, you know what you do in school? Between ages 6 to 10, you memorize the first five books of the Bible. Then, ages 10 to 14, you memorize the rest of the 39 books of the Old Testament. The family revolves around faith. How are they going to feel about you? When you've embraced someone, the government says, do not believe in him. And you have. You know what's going to happen to you? You have disgraced your family. And you dishonored your government. And you know what ended up happening to most? Persecutions came. And you were dispatched, and you had to leave neighborhood and livelihood and go out into the Roman Empire among people that you don't belong to. You don't belong to the Jews because they're Christians. You don't belong to the Gentiles because you're Jews. I have a question. See yourself as one of these Jewish Christians. Why would God treat you like that? It might have been fun in the first couple years in Israel, in Jerusalem, where everybody was selling their property. It was not fun when they went into the Roman Empire. Because now your kids are growing up, and can they get good jobs? No. No. Kids like Abby, growing up in a culture like that, Chuck, becoming a Christian would consign his kids to not nice lives. It's one thing for him to make the decision for himself, but when you see how it's impacting your kids, imagine that, Chuck. Very difficult, very difficult. Why would God do that? You know why he did it? Gives an illustration, Jesus did, about how you make a sourdough loaf. We just got a, a loaf of sourdough bread yesterday. Um, 
the way you do sourdough. Anybody make sourdough? Right? Yeah, okay. I guess what you do when you did at that point, you make a loaf of bread, and you take a portion of the bread, you set it aside, and you add a few things so that it becomes um, kind of, what would you say, it, it just kind of spoils. It, it, and then it, it ferments, that's right, it ferments. And it becomes, and so this portion of the dough ferments. And the reason you need the portion of this dough is you make another, you take that, that loaf, okay, there's a loaf, right? You got this, there's a loaf. And then you take a piece of that loaf and you set that loaf aside. This loaf is Jewish, according to the illustration. The bulk of this loaf are Jewish unbelievers. A portion of the loaf are Jewish Christians. You let that group ferment. And then what you do, you make a new batch of flour. And you know what you do? You take this sourdough and you put it in this new loaf and you make a loaf of sourdough bread. This leavening part are Jewish Christians. Who is the loaf? Gentiles. Gentiles. You know what he did? You know what God did? He took that portion out from the rest of Judaism, placed it in the Roman Empire so that we could understand that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, the Son of God. Merciful means but not but painful means to merciful ends. That's what Paul is saying. That's what this passage is saying. Um, there was pain involved. Merciful means, mercy means achieving merciful ends by merciful means. When we, when we fail to understand God's mercy, we form wrong conclusions. And what are the conclusions that you might hear? I get to this. Yeah. That the church has replaced Israel. That God set his firstborn aside because they dropped the ball. Israel did not drop the ball. God set aside most of his firstborn not to believe so that he could send those portion who did believe so that we 2,000 years later could be in a place where we know about Jesus Christ. God is going to turn back. God never selects and then wipes his hand. Never. Never. God has not, is not, and will not abandon his firstborn. He's too good a father, too good a king. He's too powerful. He's too merciful. I choose you. And when God chooses you, (laughs) he doesn't deselect you. 
God chooses you. He doesn't deselect you. He doesn't look at you and says, oh, I dropped the ball. And he would have us believe that. God's choice is based on mercy, not merit. And God's mercy is stronger than iron. You are connected to God by His mercy, and God is good. You, God, good. And He wants us to believe it. What do we do with this? What do we do with this? Several points of application. Um, There's a light side to mercy and a dark side. Light side? God chooses to be merciful to us. Would you agree? Because his mercy is him choosing, selecting, extending the gift of eternal life, and it's it's a gift you earn, right? Gift you deserve. Yeah, because you're so devout. And you and you're so passionate and you're so devoted, right? That's why he no, no. It's that's good news, isn't it? And what's the dark side? So if you've been here for a while, you know what's coming. There it is. God chooses to be merciful to them. To those who don't dot their I's and cross their T's the way they should. To those who don't believe like they should believe and act like they should act. Now again, I am not saying that everybody belongs to God. You have to hear the good news and you have to believe it. If you don't believe it, good news can't benefit you if you don't believe it. So I'm not saying everybody gets to go to God. God chooses, but it's not individual. It's with respect. Do you get it? Now, now he's done this thing so that we could know about his mercy, so that you could hear about his mercy. And you could say, I'll tell you what, Mike, if I can be connected to God and to good, I'm in. I'll believe that. And if by believing that, you know what? You become children of God. You say, what about devotion? The, the critical thing is about believing. If you believe that, how is that going to impact you? If you believe it, he's not going to deselect you. You say, Mike, you don't know. I do some things that are right. Yeah, I understand that. Do you know what God wants from you? Do you know what he wants from you? He wants you to gaze at his mercy, not at your merit. Yeah. So there's a there's a... There's a, there's a light and a dark side to mercy. The dark side, you know what? We have a love-hate relationship with mercy. Um, there are limits to our belief in mercy. If you don't believe that, read some of the parables. <laughs> you know the one? Well, the guys, the guys come in the morning. And the guys work all day. And there's somebody who shows up the 11th hour. You know, there's people who have been working since 7. This guy shows up at 4. He doesn't need a lunch. He ate lunch at home. 
And so he gets in, and so everybody lines up, and they get their pay, and this guy worked all day, and he's wiping the sweat off his brow, and he gets a full day's pay of denarii. And here comes the guy who waltz, and he's not even sweating. He's not pitted out at all. He's just, just, a, he's just skating, and now he gets to go out, and, and he gets the same, he gets the same, he gets the same deal? And how about the prodigal son? How about, you know, the guy who, the older brother was slaving in the fields, and here comes his younger brother. Oh, Dad, hey, give me the money. I, I want it, and I'm out of here, and I'm going to go in. And, and you know you know the story. And he ends up going back, and we see him going back. And his father kills the fatted calf and has a party. And how many of us can identify with the older brother out in the fields? I don't think so. Mercy is disturbing, isn't it? That God doesn't just choose to be merciful to us. He chooses to be merciful to them. There's a dark side to mercy. Um, We don't like it when we're dependent on mercy. We really, at some level, we like it when we can control how God feels about us. I've said this before. There was somebody who who came to a, a while ago and talked to, had a conversation and she, she said, you know what, Mike, I'll tell you why I left. And she was really honest, thing I appreciated. I wanted you to compare me with them. I wanted you to tell me how much better off I was than them. And you didn't. You kept on talking about what we need to believe. And she said, I just wanted to go somewhere else where I could. And you understand that? Yeah, she was, she was honest. We, we, we like to be able to control how God believes, how, how God accepts us. It's, it can be hard to, to, to be rooted in His promises, can it? To gaze at how He, what He says to us than rather what we do for Him, but that's what mercy is based on. And we don't like it when it benefits them. Uh, when God chooses to be merciful to them. For instance, okay, let me push this button a little bit. Who are your them? You have thems. <laughs> yeah, you know who they are. <laughs> Let's talk about them. <laughs> you know? Those ones that believe those things. Yeah, that's the, I'm talking about them. <laughs> you mean God chooses to be merciful to them? Yeah, he does. Does that mean they're in? No, no. If they don't hear that he chooses to be merciful to them, They'll remain. So there's a light side to mercy. If you're accepted on the basis of mercy, you will not be rejected on the basis of merit. You know the way bankruptcy works. There's chapter 7, I guess, and chapter 11 bankruptcy. Chapter 7 bankruptcy gives you temporary protection from creditors so that you can reorganize and you can put your affairs in order, and then you'll get to the place where you'll be able to kind of be on your own. Is that right? Am I getting the bankruptcy correct? Is it Chapter 11 that's temporary or Chapter 7 that's temporary? What's that? I I'm, Yeah, so let's... Come on, somebody's got to be able to know. Is it Chapter 11 bankruptcy that's temporary? I think it is. I think I got this backwards. Anyways, you don't care. You don't care. It's okay. You say, Mike, just make your point, Mike. Okay. I believe, I think it's chapter 11 bankruptcy. I think that's it. That's temporary protection. Let's say that. So what that means is that you have 
temporary protection from creditors until you get on your on your feet. There's another bankruptcy, Chapter 7, I believe, which means that you'll never be solvent as a corporation, that you're never going to be able to repay your debts. You're never going to be able to reorganize. And so uh, you're done. And when we declare spiritual bankruptcy, we tend to treat it sometimes as Chapter 11, God giving us some time to put our affairs in order, to clean up our life. And then we start to feel like we earn it again. A little bit. Self-righteousness comes very well. You know, you understand this. If you've done well and talked to God, you feel like he listens to you better, right? I mean, look what I did today. I went there, did that, memorized that, and now we talk to God and we kind of go up to him like, hey, what's happening? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We're basing it on... Yeah, we're cruising right into his family because, you know, him and you, you know, hang out with Bud, you know, a solid. Um, and we, we, we really like that. We like to be able to base our connection with him on the basis of what we do. The problem is salvation is chapter 7, not chapter 11. It's you will never be solvent as a spiritual corporation. It can never depend on your will or your effort. That's what mercy indicates, and that's the basis on which you've been selected. If you have been selected based on God's mercy and not your merit, will you be rejected if you fail to measure up? Will you be rejected if you fail to measure up? It can't be. It can't be. What if you believe that? If you believed it, you know what? You would start to love him. And you'd be gentler with yourself. There'd be more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, if we believe that. Fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit that's what the Spirit does. He tells you you're in, you're selected based on his mercy, not your merit. Uh, God chooses us, even though we don't need to be chosen. On the basis of his mercy, God chose you. And if you're connected to God, you are eternally connected to good. And he wants you to believe it. And as you have opportunity to let other people know that God chooses them too. Come on up, we'll have a closing song. Father, thank you for your purposes, that they revolve around mercy. You use merciful means to accomplish merciful ends. And believing in that, we will be able to see that unfold eternally, eternally merciful ends. Thank you for that. At the ways, at the end of all your roads, when we follow you, at the end of that road, we will find mercy. Thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen.